Now what's the word? Democracy. Yeah, what's the word? Democracy. Now what's the word? Democracy. Yeah, what's the word? Democracy. You need to know. Democracy. Make it grow. Democracy. The seeds you sow will spread democracy. You need to know. Democracy. Make it grow. Democracy. Don't let it go. Democracy. Don't let it go. Democracy. We are your election connection. We are your election connection. We are your election connection. Welcome, everyone, to Election Connection on Forward Radio WFMP. 106.5 FM, your all-volunteer grassroots community radio station. I'm your host on Election Connection, Ruth Newman. And on today's show, we are featuring the three family court judge candidates running in the third division. First off, I would like to give you a little background on family court as provided by the Kentucky Court of Justice website at kycourts.gov. So here is what they have to say. Kentucky launched an innovative and ambitious project when Jefferson County began a family court pilot program in 1991. It was the first such court in the state to focus solely on the needs of families and children. Family Court introduced a unique solution that would allow one judge to provide continuity by hearing all of a family's legal problems and issues. The Family Court model expanded beyond Louisville to suburban and rural areas across the Commonwealth. The project's success prompted efforts to make Family Court a permanent part of the Kentucky Constitution. Kentucky voters gave Family Court a resounding victory in November 2002 when the amendment passed in all 120 counties with more than 75% of the vote. Today, Family Court serves 3.2 million citizens in 71 Kentucky counties. Kentucky Family Court is so progressive and successful that it is considered a national model. What you are about to hear is an online judicial candidate forum co-hosted by the Louisville Bar Association and the Women Lawyers Association of Jefferson County. And this forum took place Thursday, October 1st. Then afterwards, we'll go into some important voting information and resources. Uh, we're bringing you this forum uh, featuring the three candidates for Jefferson Family Court Division Three, Lori Goodwin, Ali Kerstetter, and Darren Neal. Now this election is a special nonpartisan election to determine who will serve the remaining two years of a term of Judge Deborah DeWeese who retired at the end of 2019. In January, Governor Bashir appointed Ms. Kerstetter to fill the vacancy pending the outcome of next month's election. It is a countywide election. This form is designed to acquaint voters with the candidates for this very important position. So sometimes people get confused when we say division three, they think they have to live in a certain area of town in order to vote for that candidate, for that judge in that race. But no, this is a countywide election. So if you're a registered voter, 
in Jefferson County. Doesn't matter which party, this is a nonpartisan race. So a few notes about our format before we begin. Each candidate will have up to five minutes to make an opening statement. Next, the chair and vice chair of the Louisville Bar Association's family law section, Abigail Green, who's an attorney with Kellner Green, and Laura Russell, who's an attorney with the Edens Domini Law Group, will both have some questions for each of the candidates that they will have up to two minutes to answer. Finally, I will ask uh, each candidate question submitted by you, our listening audience, uh, which they will again each have up to two minutes to answer. So um, we're going to go in alphabetical order and begin with the opening statements. And we will begin uh, with Lori Goodwin. Thank you, Scott. Uh, and good afternoon, everyone. Thanks for definitely tuning in today. I am, as Scott said, a candidate for family court judge in division number three. First, I just want to give you some quick background information about myself. I am a Louisville native. I am a graduate of Seneca High School, a graduate from the University of Louisville. While at UofL, I did serve as a member of the University of Louisville Debate Society. As well, I was initiated into Delta Sigma Theta Sorority Incorporated, Xi Chapter, uh, where I served as chapter president. Um, I then went on to Marquette University Law School, which is in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Uh, while at Marquette, I served as the Black Law Student Association president. I was a member of the Public Interest Law Society, as well as the Sports Law Society, and served as an associate editor for the Marquette Sports Law Review. After graduating from Marquette, I decided to move back to Louisville, and I was definitely interested in practicing in public service. I applied for jobs at Legal Aid and the Public Defender's Office and ultimately accepted an offer from the Legal Aid Society uh, as the Wyatt, Tarrant, and Combs Fellow. So I started that the first two years in the family law unit here at Legal Aid. I've been at Legal Aid for 12 years. So I'm what they sometimes would call a lifer uh, at Legal Aid, but hopefully I can use this experience and knowledge uh, to serve you from the bench. Only practice within the family law unit here at Legal Aid. For two years, I served as the Domestic Advocacy Program Coordinator, which is a program that connects private attorneys with our clients to help them at their domestic violence hearings. Um, and so I served as the program coordinator of that initiative. After that, I, a staff attorney in the family law unit, um, I practice on several of family courts dockets. All of my clients are survivors of domestic violence and or sexual assault. And I also sometimes represent students at local universities. Just to tell you a little more, I'm also a member of the Charles Anderson Jr. Law Association, as well as a union member. I am a member of UAW 2320, which is the National Organization of Legal Services Workers, um, which is a little unusual to have a union within the law office, but we are unionized here at Legal Aid. And I am proud to say that I am a union member and have served on many different leadership roles within our union here at Legal Aid. I am currently a member of the Louisville Alumni Chapter of Delta Sigma Theta, where I have served as the Social Action Chair um, in past years, and I will continue to um, service our community through that organization. To tell you why I am running for judge and why I feel that I am the best candidate to earn your vote for this election. 
I am accustomed to working with diverse populations of people. As I mentioned, I feel that I have gained a wealth of experience and knowledge serving as an attorney in the family law unit here at Legal Aid. I'm accustomed to having high caseloads. Um, I'm an analytical thinker, an independent thinker. I will be compassionate and respectful from the bench, but at the same time, I have the ability to be authoritative uh, and I want to make decisions that are gonna be in the best interest of our families here in Jefferson County. I invite everyone to visit my website at Lori, that's L-O-R-I, goodwinforjudge.com, and hopefully I can earn your vote for this November's election. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Ms. Goodwin. Next, we'll hear from Judge Kerstetter. Thank you, Scott. First of all, thank you to the Louisville Bar Association and the Women Lawyers of Jefferson County, of which I've been a member since I was in law school uh, more than 20 years ago. My name is Ellie Kerstetter, and I am the judge for Division Three in Jefferson County. I was appointed by Governor Bashir in January, and I'm Kentucky's first and only Latina judge. So I'm very honored. I was born in the Bronx, New York, and my parents are Puerto Rican. So I'm known as a New Yorican. And I lived there until I was about 11. Then I moved to Puerto Rico, where I was married when I was 15. I had my son at 16. I started my first job when I was 17, and I've been working nonstop ever since. I went to night school at the Inter-American University in Puerto Rico, and I finished night school at Barry University in Miami. I also went to night school at the University of Louisville when I graduated in 2000. I've been practicing family law for over 20 years. While I was in law school, I did public service at Legal Aid, and I also did an externship at Catholic Charities. In addition to that, I have extensive public service. Starting from when I moved here in about 1996, I was a member of the Citizens Foster Care Review Board. I am currently the co-chair of the Domestic Violence Council. I serve on the Racial Fairness Commission. I was on the board of Adelante Hispanic Achievers, Center for Women and Families, Goodwill Industries of Kentucky, and many other organizations, including the Louisville Bar Association, the University of Louisville Alumni Council, and several others. I am passionate about the law and for justice. I care deeply about the best interest of children. And that's why I have fought to get to where I am being appointed a family court judge. I manage several dockets, sometimes having thousands of cases in one week. In addition to being an attorney prior to that, I have extensive administrative experience, which is very necessary managing a courtroom with your staff and managing your time and your cases. So why do I believe that I should keep this seat? Because I'm a very good judge. I have integrity, honesty. I, I understand the law completely. I am compassionate. I take the best interest of the children. I listen to everyone succinctly. I care about the litigants that come before me. I pay attention to the pro se that come before me. And I believe that I'm making a difference in Jefferson County and perhaps throughout the state being the only Latina woman. Also, I believe 
injustice and taking the time to deal with other services in this community, being with uh, the Women Lawyers Association, of which I was a board member for a short period of time. They do a lot of good things in this town and community service. So service, 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 I've always been a part of. So I'm respectfully asking you to help me keep my seat on November 3rd. Thank you all for listening. Thank you, Judge Kerstetter. Next, we'll hear from Mr. Neal. Thank you, Scott. Like the other two candidates, I am running for Family Court Judge here in Jefferson County, Family Court Division Three. I am currently employed as an Assistant County Attorney. I've been an Assistant County Attorney assigned to the Family Court Divisions for the last six and a half years. Presently, I'm assigned to the Child Support Division exclusively, but in the past, I've also been assigned as a prosecutor for the Child Abuse Docket or the Dependency Neglect and Abuse Docket. Before I was a prosecutor, I was in private practice. I worked for a domestic relations law firm um, representing clients in their divorce and child custody actions. And before that, um, I had the honor of serving as the staff attorney to now retired family court judge Dolly Berry. Over the last 10 years, I practiced exclusively in Jefferson family courts, or almost exclusively. I um, did have to go to some of the outer counties for a little while, but I ran this back as fast as I could. So I believe that I have the professional experience. I've been in court more days than not over the last 10 years. I've been on every docket over the last 10 years. So I believe that I have the professional experience, but I also believe that I have the personal experience. I'm the child of a pretty messy divorce. I lived it. I know it. It's messy. I understand the effects that a decision of a judge can have on a family. I understand that personally because I lived it. But on the happy side, I understand family court because I'm currently a foster parent. In January, my husband and I got our first placement. After a year of getting approval, it is not a quick process. We now have our perfect daughter in our home. Uh, we are concurrent home. We are hoping that we will eventually be able to adopt her. But I understand family court because I don't just do it for my job. I've seen it in my life. And I think that a judge needs to really understand just exactly the effect that um, their decisions can have. I believe that um, over the course of my career as a prosecutor, I've tried to treat everyone with respect that they deserve. Everyone deserves dignity. Everyone deserves to be respected, no matter if they are rich or poor, no matter if they are represented by an attorney or not. Everyone deserves to have a fair shot, and they deserve to have a judge who understands this is scary. Family court, even a routine hearing, is scary for someone, and they deserve a judge who understands that and who's not gonna make it worse by their pride by thinking that they're the most important person in the room. The judge is there to serve the community, and we deserve a family court judge who's gonna believe that. And I believe that I am that judge. I also have some involvement in the community. I too um, have been a member of the Foster Care Review Board. I am currently a board member for the Conrad Caldwell House Museum, which anchors St. James Court. It's a beautiful museum mansion, but I am also a big brother with big brothers and big sisters. I take investing in this community very seriously, and I would be honored to have your vote on November 3rd. And uh, one more thing, feel free to learn more about me at neilforjudge.com. Neil is spelled N-E-E-L, neilforjudge.com. Thank you, Mr. Neil, and all of the candidates for those nice opening statements. Next, we're going to turn to the chair of the Louisville Bar Family Law Section, Abigail Green. And she's going to have a question. Uh, we're going to start with Ms. Goodwin, 
So um, screen, you can ask your question. Thank you so much, Scott. Um, my question for the candidates is, we have a lot of dockets on family court. There's a lot of different types of cases, and each of those dockets is super important to this community. What docket of all of those do you think has the most impact on our community, and what makes you and your skill set ideal as a candidate for this position? We'll start with Ms. Goodwin, and you'll have two minutes. Thank you, uh, Abigail. Uh, as you mentioned, there are several different dockets uh, within the family court system. Um, I hesitate to say one is more important than the other. However, I will briefly speak on uh, the domestic violence docket. I feel that the domestic violence docket is so important because if we do not prevent our citizens from being uh, exposed to violence within the home, that could really derail any other progress that we could possibly make on the other family court dockets. And so I feel that my experience, I have served as the program coordinator for the Domestic Violence Advocacy Program here at Legal Aid, uh, and I have represented countless clients on the domestic violence dockets uh, within all 10 family courts here in Jefferson County. And it is so important that we realize, as Mr. Neal mentioned, that these are real families and real individuals, and that it is my job to make sure that I am protecting those families, the parents, the, the survivor of domestic violence, and including their children. Domestic violence is not necessarily physical all the times. There are also other aspects since, uh, such as uh, emotional abuse, financial abuse, things like that that we have to make sure we are preventing perpetrators of abuse from continuously wrecking havoc on the family. And so I think of the first step, if we can make sure that families feel safe and secure, then we can help them progress. And if they are on other family court dockets, once we know they have a safety plan in place and that they have a domestic violence order in place to keep them and their children safe, I think that will only help them on other dockets that they could possibly be on within the family court system. Next we'll have Judge Kirstetter. I believe the one that has the most impact, not to take away from the DV docket, is the DNA docket, Dependency, Neglect, and Abuse. That is the docket that is most dear to my heart because it affects so many families and, of course, children. You go through abuse and neglect, and even violence and sexual assaults as a child, and that stays with you for the rest of your life. And if we don't take care of our children, they are the future of our society. And there are so many things that I can do in this docket, teaching parents how to parent, or helping parents through the resources that we have to get the necessary help through substance abuse through domestic violence training, through batter's intervention program, and through going to school, making sure that they go to school. So it impacts the whole family in a dependency docket as opposed to just one other docket. This is the one that makes me think about when I'm home at night because I think it affects society as a whole. Thanks, Judge Kerstetter. Uh, and last but not least, we'll hear from Mr. Neal on this question. So I agree with Judge Curtis Stetter. I believe that the docket that has the most impact on the community is definitely the dependency neglect and abuse docket. Obviously, the domestic violence docket is very important. I mean, we have victims who, who need protection. But I believe that the one that has the most impact on the community is the DNA docket because that is a family that is in crisis. And 
you have to balance the needs of protecting those children, but also trying to get the family back together if it can be safely done and if the children are going to be safe when it occurs. I believe that I am the best candidate for that because I have seen the DNA docket from all sides. I am currently a foster parent, like I mentioned. I have prosecuted DNA cases from sexual abuse. I've seen extreme physical violence. I've seen children being tardy to school. I've seen the whole, the gambit of it. I've been a member of the Foster Care Review Board. I have represented clients on the DNA docket. I understand all different sides of it. And I believe that my experience and my knowledge of the players and my knowledge of the docket as a whole would allow me to take on this important docket from day one. All right. Uh, next, we will have a question from the vice chair of the family law section, Laura Russell. And we'll begin this time with Judge Kirstetter. Good afternoon, everyone. As you all are well aware, Jefferson Family Courts have a significant caseload before COVID-19 happened or hit our community. And certainly that didn't go away when COVID occurred. So my question for all of you really is, what are you doing, Judge Kerstetter, or what, as a candidate, what would you do to help manage all the dockets efficiently and effectively for all the litigants to have an opportunity to be heard quickly? And secondly, what protocols or procedures that have been put in place since COVID, what would you continue or what are you using? What do you think would be most useful moving forward that we've learned since all of this has happened? And if you would keep anything, what would they be? It's been quite an experience doing Zoom meetings. <laughs> I had never done so many Zoom meetings in my life. Going to your second question, I think it's made a difference for a lot of pro se litigants being able to appear in court by a Zoom meeting, especially people whose jobs are affected when they have to be in court all day or all afternoon. I, I think they have better access to the courts right now appearing virtually. So I would like somehow when things, if they ever get back to normal, I would like somehow that we would be able to grant them that access or continuing having some type of access that way. Because I believe it makes a difference in the lives, not only of pro se litigants, but also of attorneys. I think it, it also is good for some attorneys. I mean, you're running around all different courts to different counties, I think for efficiency's sake, we should be able to allow that. Now, how has it made a difference? Was your other question, Ms. Russell? My other question had to do with how do you efficiently manage the docket? I think it's important to manage your docket efficiently, and how do you do that? At least for my division, it's because we've only had about 25% of staff since the COVID started. So that's been quite difficult. Also, the bench clerks have been working only 50% of the time. So I can understand the frustration of certain attorneys, or of, of most attorneys, but the efficiency is having a system in place and being able to write orders as quickly as possible and being able to set time, not hearings that are three and four hours, half a day, but set them at shorter times so that we can add extra hearings. Just setting up a system of shorter time so that you can add more cases to your calendar. Thank you. And next we'll hear from uh, Mr. Neal on this question. 
You are correct. Our dockets are huge and they are getting pushed out further and further. I actually learned that I saw a pass date for July 27th of 2021 uh, yesterday and it was to establish child support and my mouth dropped. These are families that need assistance from a court. If they could figure it out on their own, they wouldn't be asking the judge to make the decision for them. So the fact that things are getting pushed out is outrageous. However, what would I do? I'm a hard worker. I understand that this is a full-time job. It, it may not be a 40-hour week job. It, it may be something that to get through this, we're going to have to, you know, work longer hours. We're going to have to, you know, maybe your paternity docket goes in the morning and in the afternoon every week. You might have to write the orders on your own time. And, you know, after a full day of hearings, you then write the orders. That is what I would do because these are important. Families need answers. Um, and like I said, if they could do it on their own, they, would, they wouldn't be coming to the court. What do I like from COVID? I think that we've learned that a lot of things can be done remotely, um, either via telephone or via Zoom. I mean, there are just some hearings that parties don't need to waste the, the money or the attorney's fees coming down for a status conference. You can do it in you know, 15 minutes virtually. You should do it 15 minutes virtually. One thing that I have loved is that not having to go down for motion hour to get a date. It says email the secretary, you get the date, and everyone saves time. It's just a great system, and I think that that definitely be implemented with my division if I had the honor of being elected. Next, we will hear from Ms. Goodwin. With COVID, things have definitely changed. They're more than a little different than usual, but some of the things that I would implement are, or, or keep in place are definitely virtual motion hour. Uh, I think that has been quite effective as well as having virtual case management conference status reviews and things like that. One of the most important things is that you have to have a real life action plan during this period. And so it's of the utmost importance that the judge as well as their staff are extremely organized. Uh, we have to be organized in scheduling dates for litigants and getting orders out. It is my pledge that I will be dedicated to e-filing all orders, uh, getting orders out as expeditiously as possible so that attorneys are not waiting months to get orders for their clients. As we've mentioned several times, these are people's real lives and our decisions have real life effects on those individuals and those families. And so after we have hearings or after we've heard motions at motion hour, it is uh, so important that we get our decisions out as quickly as possible so we can try to help those individuals and families resolve their issues or if they need additional hearing dates that we get them on the calendar. While I understand this is an extremely difficult time, it is totally unacceptable to have families waiting until June of next year. And so again, the main thing is just to make sure that you're organized and that you're working as effectively and as efficiently as possible and keeping a lot of these things virtually so that litigants, again, don't have to waste time coming downtown, taking time off of work, um, and things can be done in a quick fashion. And for those litigants that don't have uh, access to technology, we can, of course, do all of these things also over the telephone. And those are things that I would implement if I become judge in division number three. Uh, we do have uh, now a question from the audience, which I will pose uh, first to Mr. Neal this time. And the question is, should family court judges be responsible for reviewing qualifying EPOs? Emergency protective order that will ultimately land in family court 
even after normal working hours? If you think they should, what will you do to work towards that goal? If you do not think they should, why not? If I understand your question, uh, it's should the family court be on call after five o'clock? I, I believe it's the question, um, essentially to review the EPOs and I assume ECOs as well, because if you're reviewing one, you should probably be reviewing the other either. I believe that it's absolutely appropriate for a family court judge to be on call. These are full-time jobs. You are asking to serve the community when you are running for judge. And you have the experience with these families on a wide range of dockets. You, you may know this person from the paternity docket. You may know them from the DNA docket. DNA refers to dependency, neglect, and abuse. And it may not be one that a district court judge on call has any familiarity with. So absolutely, I believe that it's appropriate for family court judge to, to be on call to review these EPOs and ECOs. And you are listening to a family court judicial candidate forum held Thursday, October the 1st, in which three candidates running in the third division, that being Lori Goodwin, Darren Neal, and Ellie Kerstetter, answered questions and the event was co-hosted by the Louisville Bar Association and the Women Lawyers Association of Jefferson County. The question that was just asked is, should family court judges be responsible for reviewing qualified emergency protective orders that may land in family court even after normal working hours? If you think they should, what would you do to work toward that goal? And if you don't think they should, why not? Uh, next, we will hear from uh, Ms. Goodwin on this question. I agree with Darren on this issue. I, I believe it is totally appropriate for the family court judges to review those EPOs. However, I believe that the judge that that case will ultimately end up in front of, of course, should not be the judge that is reviewing the petition on the front end. We've mentioned before that a lot of the family law practitioners, as well as judges, they are doing this every day. They're familiar with the EPO, DBO uh, statutes. EPO is Emergency Protective Order, and DVO is Domestic Violence Order. Me personally, I have a wealth of experience dealing with domestic violence. Um, and the statutes and representing clients in court and just not only what the legal aspect of that is, but understanding what the real life implications are when someone feels that they are at their last resort to even go file for an EPO. Um, and so I think there are so many different factors that have to be taken into account when deciding if an individual and or family is entitled to an EPO. And so again, I think it is highly appropriate uh, that a family court judge would review those and then make the decision on whether that individual uh, should be granted an EPO or a summons to appear before the judge and coming to a determination as to whether that person is entitled to a lengthier domestic violence order. And so, yes, I do feel that it is appropriate for the family court judges to do that, even if they're on call after hours. I have no issue with that whatsoever. We will now hear from Judge Kirstetter on this question. Thank you. All family court judges do on call every 10 weeks. We're on call for ECOs and we're on call for EPOs. ECOs are emergency custody orders and EPOs are emergency protective orders. We also all receive email blasts 
throughout the day for whoever is available to sign off or review EPOs. So um, whether it be during the day, whether it be in the middle of the night, all family court judges have access to that. And whoever gets there first, we review it and we either enter an order or deny it or request that it be a summons. So family court is already doing that. We do have another question from the audience uh, and we will uh, this time pose it first to Ms. Goodwin. And the question is, how do you view the role of recovery court in the DNA docket process? And would you be open to allowing parents to obtain legal benefit in their cases for successful participation? And the example given is a parent could agree to go to recovery court in exchange for their stipulations being set aside upon completion. That's a great question. I, I am a huge supporter and proponent of recovery court. Um, I think it is a way, one, to ensure that the parent and or parents are receiving um, adequate services to help them overcome their addiction. I am a child of a parent that struggled with addiction issues. And so this is something that hits home for me directly. And I know it is so important. Every child wants to have a healthy parent who wants to engage with them and uh, wants to show them love. And so I feel that recovery court, if a parent is willing to participate and wants to be an active participant and really get their lives back on track and fight their addiction, I am more than happy, depending on what the allegations are, if it is safe and appropriate to possibly allow them to do so, uh, as was asked in the question. But yes, I do believe Recovery Court is a huge success. I hope that it will continue. I hope that more parents will want to be engaged and really, like I said, get themselves back on track and be able to reunify with their child or children. Because the only way that you can make decisions in the best interest of your child is if you are capable of making best decisions that are in your own best interest. And any parent that is suffering with the illness of addiction is not going to be capable or more than likely not capable of making those types of decisions. And so I would highly encourage any parent who is struggling with addiction, if they have the opportunity to participate in the recovery court on the DNA docket, I feel that that would be a huge benefit, not only to themselves, but to their family as an entirety. Thank you, Ms. Goodwin. Uh, next, we will hear from Judge Kerstetter on this question. I am in favor of providing as many resources as possible for parents and families that need it in order to regain custody of their children. And Recovery Court is an excellent resource for that, as long as the parents qualify for it and as long as they adhere to the requirements of it. But absolutely, it's an excellent resource and I'm in favor of that and any other resources that we can find to help these families get back together. Now we'll hear from Mr. Neal on this question. I agree. It's a great question. And I agree that uh, Recovery Court is a great resource for families. When you are referred or agreed to go to Recovery Court, you are sometimes being offered additional resources that you wouldn't necessarily be able to get otherwise. For example, protective parenting, the only way you can get that is if you've been clean and sober for six months. Now with Recovery Court, you can go ahead and do both. You can work on getting sober and you can also work on your protective parenting classes, which will hopefully expedite your ability to, to get your children back. So recovery court is wonderful. It also provides 
a sense of community. You were working with people who were recovering at the same time. And really, they're people who understand the situation that you're going through because they're also going through it. They also have the goal of getting better so that they can get their children back. Regarding whether or not I believe that it could or should be tied to uh, the underlying DNA petition. That being dependency, neglect, and abuse. I mean, obviously, that is going to be a case-by-case basis. I'm assuming if you're in recovery court, your main issue is probably addiction-related. And so with that, I I think it could be um, a good idea, maybe not necessarily to dismiss, but maybe informally adjust so that you're keeping protective orders in place to protect the child, but maybe you're removing the, the finding from the parent, which can follow them for a while. Another question from the audience that we will uh, first post to Judge Kerstetter is, will your personal background inform your rulings from the bench? And if so, how? Absolutely not. I mean, the only way that my personal background would have anything to do with the bench is how I do not see people that come before me. I don't see color, I don't see gender, I don't see sexuality because I have a very diverse background. But in terms of rulings, absolutely not. I base my rulings on the facts before me and the law. No bias, no special consideration for anyone. Everyone that comes before me, clean slate, unless they have a file already before me, and then I'll look at the previous facts and orders in the case. But absolutely not. I look at everyone from the start. Right. Uh, The same question now for Mr. Neal. I believe my background and experiences helped me understand the people that would be coming before me in greater detail um, because I understand what they're going through. I understand at least some small part of what they're going through. Would it affect my rulings? It would just allow me to understand them. But every case is going to be case by case. It's fact specific. And as a judge, you're required to take the cases that way. Um, You can't rule in a way because of something that's happened in your own personal life. You have to take the facts as they are presented to you. However, I do think your personal experiences can help you understand these people better, which will help you better understand the facts before you. And then finally, the same question for Ms. Goodwin. Yes, I um, believe that my personal experiences and background, as Mr. Neal said, will help me uh, possibly understand where litigants are coming from or things that they are experiencing. Um, I believe that you have to take litigants as they come to you um, and you have to accept them as they are. Will my personal experiences and backgrounds come into play in actually making rulings? No. It's the judge's obligation to listen to the facts presented and the evidence shown and then make rulings that are based in the law uh, and the rules of the court. And so that's what I would do. I feel that you have to be extremely respectful of the litigants that come before you. And part of that is acknowledging that they do come from different racial, socioeconomical, um, gender backgrounds, and all of those things. Those are so important because sometimes that is going to help me understand those individuals better because their particular circumstances are specific to them. Again, that does not mean that my decisions are going to be based on those things, but I do believe that we have to acknowledge that every single family and litigant that comes before the court is unique and that we need to be appreciative of their backgrounds 
and understanding them. But again, and actually making the rulings, my decisions will be based on what has been presented and then how I can apply the laws to those facts in rendering uh, a decision for that family. All right, um, we have another question, and this time we'll go first to Mr. Neal. And the question is, in addition to knowing the law and uh, making wise rulings, family court judges must be able to effectively manage their dockets. And in this time of COVID-19, uh, able to use technology effectively to uh, conduct remote proceedings. How well equipped are you to handle these aspects of the job? I believe that I'm very well equipped to handle these aspects. I, like I think most everybody else, have been spending a lot of time on Zoom for work, for being able to socialize with people um, while staying healthy at home. So I've become very familiar with Zoom. I'm very familiar with computers and technology in general, um, or at least have a working knowledge where I can mostly figure out uh, most new programs as they're being developed. So I believe that Yes, I, I would be able to adequately handle the new technology in order to effectively manage my uh, courtroom and my responsibilities as a judge. Uh, and next, the same question for Ms. Goodwin. Yes, I am fully aware, as we have all mentioned, that things have changed and we are heavily relying on technology. I am ready to move forward and continue to use the technology that we have been to conduct uh, court hearings or mediations, things like that. I have a working knowledge of, of the different platforms that we can use because not every litigant has access to every uh, platform. And so sometimes we might have to adjust and be a little patient. And especially for those litigants, uh, such as my clients who are living below the poverty guidelines, we're gonna have to sometimes be patient. They may not have access to technology. And so sometimes we may have to do things over the telephone. And so that's something that I think is so important that we have to understand that not every single litigant that comes before family court has access to technology. They probably have access to a telephone um, that we could use to conduct their hearings. Also with the use of technology, sometimes we may have to have breakout sessions um, on these different platforms or give attorneys an opportunity to speak with their clients privately via the tech chat feature. And so those are things that I've continuously been working with throughout this time since we've all pretty much switched uh, to using technology and these different platforms to conduct our business. Um, but I am ready uh, to continue using this technology and hopefully this will help streamline some of the dockets and make things actually move a little faster than usual as opposed to us always having to go to court and meet face to face. And finally, the same question for Judge Kirstetter. Technology is here to stay, and I have been using computers, I hate to say, but since about 1986. So I'm, I'm familiar with computers. I use emails and texting with my staff. We use Skype to communicate with each other internally, which I understand is now going to be Teams through Microsoft. So I welcome it, the challenge. I love learning new things. So unfortunately, there are some attorneys that still don't use computers, do not use email, and that's very sad because things move quickly and we have to keep up with the times and you have to be able to e-file and know how to use CourtNet and use all of the different programs for calculating child support and calculating maintenance. So you have to keep up with technology and I look forward to what's coming next. Uh, in the time that we have remaining, 
we're going to um, ask each candidate to take up to two minutes to sort of sum up their candidacy and uh, tell the, the listening audience why uh, you are the best person for this particular division. And we will start with Ms. Goodwin. Before we uh, conclude this forum today, again, I want to thank everybody for tuning in. And I just want to say that I feel that I am the best candidate for this job because as cliche as it may sound, I want to use the experience and the knowledge that I have gained working within the family law system for the last 12 years to serve our community on a larger scale. I am not running for judge for notoriety or for fame or for accolades. I am only doing this for the residents of Jefferson County. I have a sincere heart and a sincere passion for serving our families here in Jefferson County. I know that I have the experience and the relevant knowledge to be an excellent judge, to listen to everyone, to be respectful, but also, as I mentioned earlier, to be authoritative and to make decisions that I feel are in that particular family's best interest. I wanna again invite everyone to visit my website at lauriegoodwinforjudge.com. I highly encourage you to look into all three of us in determining who you are going to vote for. I am a strong believer that votes should be earned and not given. And I hope that I have earned your vote here today and that you feel confident and that I am the most competent and capable candidate to serve as your next family court judge for division number three. Thank you, Ms. Goodwin. Uh, next, we'll hear from Judge Kirstetter on this question. Thank you again, Scott. Thank you to the women lawyers and the Louisville Bar Association and all of those listening in and viewing in today. Experience, experience, experience. I have over 20 years of experience in family court. Before being appointed a judge, I had my solo practice for over 17 years, and then I worked with a firm out of Chicago for about two and a half years. In addition to that, I have my life experiences, being a child bride, a child mother. My son is 44 years old. I have three grandchildren, 22, 19, and 18. Um, I'm a survivor of domestic violence. All my experiences, my education, my diversity, being a Latina woman, and my public service, which are decades long. So all of that together makes me the best candidate, in addition to being the incumbent, the judge, that's been there for over eight months. So on November 3rd, keepjudgeelly.com. Thank you, Judge Kirstetter. And then finally, uh, Mr. Neal. Thank you, Scott. And thank you to the Woman Lawyers Association and the Global Bar Association for putting this on. None of us have really acknowledged it, but this is really the first and only forum that any of us have had so far. Um, this is honestly the first time I've seen uh, either of the other two candidates in person, so or not in person ever, but during this campaign season. Um, so it was nice to see them. It's nice to see um, our moderators. I'm asking for your vote because I believe that I have the right personal and professional experiences to really do a good job as a family court judge. Like I said, I've appeared in court more days than not, and almost all of my experience has been right here in Jefferson County in family court. I have seen it all, um, both professionally, I've seen it personally, and I believe that my experience coupled with my judicial temperament that I would have and my belief that everyone deserves dignity and respect and everyone needs to be treated as such um, when they come before me would make me an ideal candidate. I believe that family court is important. We are dealing with families on their worst days. We are dealing with families in crisis. And we need someone 
on the bench who understands this and who understands the law and the services that are available to these individuals to help them now. And so I'm asking that you choose me. I'm asking that you vote for me. I'm asking that you research me further. Uh, go to neelforjudge.com, N-E-E-L for judge.com. My parents didn't give me the normal spelling, so don't go to the other one. And learn about me. Learn about the other candidates. Because please, family court is important. And we need the best judge on the bench. Um, so I, I believe that's me. And I would ask that you vote for me. But if not, please make an informed vote. Well, that brings us to almost the end of our uh, Judicial Candidates Forum. I want to compliment all three candidates for the decorum that you've uh, exhibited throughout this forum. We had an example just a couple of nights ago of a debate gone way off the rails. So I really appreciate the uh, congeniality and the the professionalism that you've all demonstrated. Also, thanks to our additional uh, questioners, Abigail Green and Laura Russell from the Family Law Section and to our partners at the Jefferson County Women Lawyers Association for helping us produce this forum. Uh, In conclusion, in addition to today's forum, voters can learn more about the candidates by checking out a poll of attorneys recently completed, um, which they rated the candidates' qualifications. And those poll results are available for viewing on the LBA's website, which is www.lubar.org. That's L-O-U-B-A-R dot O-R-G. So we encourage you to check those out and very important to make uh, an informed decision. So if you go on the Louisville Bar Association's website, you will see the results of this uh, 2020 judicial candidate poll. They sent out an online poll to approximately 4,700 members of the Kentucky Bar Association working and or residing in Jefferson County. And those who have had substantial professional contact with one or more of the candidates were asked to rate their fitness to serve as a family court judge. And the results were tabulated by an accounting and consulting firm. And of the 133 respondents who evaluated Lori Goodwin, 27% rated her highly qualified. Of the 233 respondents who evaluated Ellie Kerstetter, 28% rated her highly qualified. Of the 147 respondents who evaluated Darren Neal, 65% rated him highly qualified. However, 54% of respondents rated Lori Goodwin qualified, and 43% rated Ellie Kerstetter qualified. So it looks like uh, the majority rated all three of them either qualified or highly qualified. However, 65% of a smaller number of respondents rated Darren Neal as highly qualified. So (laughs) I suggest that you go to the website and look for yourself. That's Louisville Bar Association, but it's lubar.org. Judicial races often don't get the attention that other races in the executive branch and legislative branch uh, seem to get. And candidates are somewhat constrained by the code of judicial conduct in what they can say in terms of how they feel about particular hot button issues. So with that, um, we'll conclude today's forum and I encourage everyone to please vote on November 3rd. 
and thanks to everybody who tuned in today. One more thing, uh, judges are on the front of the ballot, I believe, this year, so just make sure you find that judges race. It'll be a special election here in Jefferson County. All right, with that, we will conclude today's forum um, with our thanks to the candidates and everybody who participated. This was a Family Court Judicial Candidate Forum held Thursday, October the 1st, in which three candidates running in the third division, Lori Goodwin, Darren Neal, and Ellie Kerstetter, answered questions. This event was co-hosted by the Louisville Bar Association and the Women Lawyers Association of Jefferson County. Okay, early voting is right now, starting Tuesday, October the 13th. That means you can either go in person to vote or you can drop off a filled out and properly signed and sealed absentee ballot into a drop box by going to any one of the following four locations. And they are the Kentucky Exposition Center at 937 Phillips Lane, the north wing of the fairgrounds, the KFC Yum Center, the foyer on Main and 2nd Streets, the Kentucky Center for African American Heritage at 1701 West Muhammad Ali Boulevard or the Louisville Marriott East at 1903 Embassy Square Boulevard, the Commonwealth Ballroom. They're all open Monday through Saturday, 8.30 a.m. to 4.30 p.m. And on Election Day, they'll be open from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. You can arrive at any one of these locations in person, fill out and submit a ballot, or you can bring your filled out and sealed absentee ballot and drop it into a drop box, which will also be at these four locations. Now, voters who have not yet received a requested absentee ballot can check the status of their absentee ballot by going to GoVoteKY.com. If you have not received your requested absentee ballot by October the 28th, you may go to any of these locations, these four that I just mentioned, and vote in person. Or if you didn't apply for an online absentee ballot by the October 9th deadline, you can also go to one of these four locations and vote early. And I urge you to vote early you can also get this information by going to jeffersoncountyclerk.org. And additionally, on election day, if you have not already voted, which I hope isn't the case, you will have the option of voting at any one of 20 voting centers, which include the four that I just mentioned, those four being open right now for early voting, starting Tuesday, October 13th, and open Monday through Saturday, 8.30 a.m. till 4.30 p.m., but if you do happen to find yourself voting on November 3rd, the day of the election, you'll have from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. to go to any one of these 20 locations throughout the county that you can find listed by going to 
jeffersoncountyclerk.org. When your absentee ballot arrives in the mail and you open it, you'll first see another white envelope with our Jefferson County Clerk's address on the front. Note that you must sign your name where indicated in the upper left corner of this envelope. Then you'll pull out of this envelope your absentee ballot, a set of instructions on a blue sheet, a slip of paper clarifying the somewhat muddle-worded tax levy question, and a manila envelope. Be sure to follow the directions on the blue sheet. It tells you, for example, not to detach the flap on the inner envelope titled Absentee Ballot, or it will not be counted, so do not detach that flap. After filling out the ballot, and don't forget to flip the ballot over where you'll find more to vote on, place it in the manila envelope, sign it where indicated, seal it, and stick it inside of the white envelope and seal that. So now you have signed and sealed both envelopes. Then you can either send it through the U.S. Postal Service, no postage necessary, or hand deliver it to the county clerk's office or you can also place it in a drop box that will be at the four locations I mentioned a little while ago. Do this sooner rather than later. You will have until 6 p.m. November 3rd. And as a little postscript, if you would like more information on the two constitutional amendments and the school tax levy proposals that you'll see on the back side of the ballot, you can find archived programs on these issues by going to our website, forwardradio.org, clicking on Programs and selecting Election Connection. You'll see them on my playlist. Well, that about wraps things up for this edition of Election Connection. Be listening for upcoming shows focusing on this most important and critical of elections coming right up. And please, please, please vote. And if possible, vote early. And help keep this radio station on the air by going to www.forwardradio.org and clicking on the Donate button. Bye for now.